Good morning, Cal Mesa Church. I hope that you are doing fine on this crisp uh, Saturday morning. It got hot on Wednesday, and I started having those thoughts again. I need to move away from here. And then a miracle happened, and it is cool again. I'm so glad that summer's not all the way here. Um, I'm glad that you guys are with me this morning. I'm excited to join you guys. Uh, we are in our third week um, in a series going through the story I'm in the book of Nehemiah, and we've learned a lot so far, uh, at least I have. Uh, we've seen how Nehemiah is far away from home, and he's filled with pain. And he's like, God, please do something. And then what does God ask him to do? He asks him to wait. He asks him to wait for Nissan to finally make a good model of a car. Now just... I knew it. I had this theory, like, do dad jokes work if you're not a dad? They, they don't. They don't. Um, we've learned you have to wait sometimes. You just got to pray, and you could pray for months and months, and you just got to keep waiting until Nissan arrives. We've learned that teamwork makes the... And especially, we have to hold those dreams when times are the most difficult, at the worst of times, we got to hope for the best things. We learned that last week. And so we continue today um, in chapter 4 of the story of Nehemiah. So I invite you guys to open it up uh, in your Bibles or your phones. We're going to be in that same chapter the whole day. Um, so you can just uh, find it and put your finger in there. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 4. Uh, before we get started, let's pray. Uh, dear God, as we open your word... Uh, we ask that you may be the one that is moving in our hearts, um, that you may be the one who is speaking through my lips. Um, may we uh, leave today acutely aware of what you are trying to tell us. In your name we pray, amen. And so, here we are building the wall. And it seems like everything is going well. Nehemiah has done the scouting. He's convinced all the people, the, the rich people, the poor people, the middle class people, the religious people, say, we got to work. Was there even perfume people in there? Yeah, people who work on perfume saying, we got to work. And the Bible tells us that they started the good work of building the wall. They have a lot of help. They have all the funds and supplies that they need. Guys, this is a government-backed building project. And the people are divided and assigned to different sections of the wall. They say, oh, Trace, you're a good builder. I want you to build this whole gate, the fish gate. That's you, okay? Uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot of kids here. They can, they can handle a lot of work. You guys get the old city gate, all right? Um, oh, Al Alfred's a one-man wrecking crew over here. Uh, we're going to give him the whole wall by the cemetery, <laughs> all right? And so they start dividing people to do sections of the wall, and they're like, we can do this. Teamwork makes the dream work. But then, unfortunately, like most stories in the Bible, life happens. And so when Pastor Darren was speaking yesterday, I couldn't help, I mean yesterday, last week, I couldn't help but think to myself, does teamwork make the dream work? Or is that just like a cliche? Is that too good to be true? Like, I want to believe that at 
that I can hope in the worst of times. But how do I actually know that I can do that? You know, my basketball coach is also told us the same line, teamwork can make the dream work. But you know, no matter how much we practiced, no, much how, no matter how many games we went to and how much film we watched, my whole high school career, we never got first place. Oh, it's a dream work. Does teamwork make the dream work? It's very difficult because it takes just one small thing and it seems like there's a whole barrier stopping us from achieving what we think we want to. For you guys who are older and are, your kids are way out of the nest, like the nest is gone, like you guys haven't been parents for a while, can you imagine what it's like to raise kids right now? Oh, I didn't mean to be offensive. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. Okay, the nest is still there. The nest is still there. <laughs> you guys will always be parents. Yes, that, that is right. <laughs> but you guys know what I mean. Imagine, imagine raising young elementary kids and teenagers today, trying to build a family when now all of them have cell phones, there's Netflix, there's fashion culture, all of this stuff pressuring them. It almost makes some parent, parents that I work with say like, man, teamwork, man, we're, we're not a team. This is hard. What about people with financial goals? A lot of us, I think, are blessed that inflation doesn't affect us as much as it does some people. Um, I was talking to a dad a few months ago, and he was telling me all of his dreams of starting a barbershop um, in Redlands. He had been saving a lot of money, um, and that was, he's like, it's close. I really feel it. Um, I saw him this last week, as you can tell, and I asked him, hey, how's the barbershop dream coming? And he looked kind of sad, and he said, man, you know, honestly, like, all of my hopes for, like, my family um, and my company, they're kind of on hold right now. Like, we just got to, like, you know, make the rent. Like, hopefully, like, things get a little easier. Because I've been saving, but with the prices, I haven't saved even close to enough. We have young people who have dreams, and all it takes is a bad decision, an accident, a diagnosis, and it feels like all the dreams that they worked for are gone. And so we are left asking, does teamwork make the dream work? Is there hope if we want to build our own lives, if we want to build our families, Man, if we want to build Calamasa Church up, our community, is it worth hoping for? You guys are probably thinking, man, Pastor Mark's really pessimistic today. The answer, though, is yes. Because that would be pretty horrible if I preached a whole sermon against everything that Pastor Darren preached about last week. <laughs> today, I want to challenge the idea, because it is true. But I want to look at the story of Nehemiah and see how they dealt with it when life happened. How they were able to hold on to hope in spite of all the things that they were facing. How did those workers in Jerusalem make the dream work? And so they're there and everybody's really excited. Everybody's at a high level of energy and they're building the wall. And then our good, good buddies, Tobiah, and Sanballat come. 
Man, these guys are up to no good. They like have nothing good to say, and they don't even have full-time jobs, so they're just like always hanging around. And they start mocking them. Um, in verse 1, we're in chapter 4 today. Um, in verse 2, sorry, they say, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? Do you hear what they're saying there? He's like, do you think just because you serve a God that you'll be able to get what you want done? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap? And charred rubble at that. They continue, man, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Man, how is such a short man called Nehemiah going to build such a tall wall? Uh, I can't say dad jokes. I'm not a dad. I had to throw that one in. I told my youth group today that I was speaking on Nehemiah, and I think uh, Thomas actually asked me to throw that joke in there. Um, they're mocking them. And so I think we do what actually a lot of us are capable of doing when we feel an initial surge of pushback. Because humans have this thing in us that God created in us. It's called tenacity. As soon as you feel like someone's pushing back at you, you dig in a little harder. Parents see it a lot in their kids. They say, don't do that. <clears throat> I, I can do what I want. And so they put their head down. They say, you know what? Whatever you say, Tobiah, whatever you say, Sanblat, I'm just going to put my head down, work on my section of the wall. Teamwork gets the dream work. Wait. Teamwork makes the dream work. I'm just going to focus. And you know what? They do it. They get half of the wall done. That's like cause to celebrate. And so now they're really excited. They've put all the energy. What seemed like a hope now seems like it can almost be reality. And Sanballat and Tobiah turn it up a notch. They call their friends the Ammonites, the Ashdodites. Um, they basically make a Facebook group and say, if you don't like Jerusalem, join us. And all the people come. And they start preparing for war. They sharpen their swords, and they say, we're going to go into Jerusalem. We're going to attack them. We're going to take the wall that they've built, that half of a wall, and we're going to tear it down. In Jerusalem... It is officially the worst of times. So what should humans do? Stay tenacious? Keep going? Let's see what the, the people in Jerusalem do. In verse 10, Then the people of Judah, they began to complain. The workers are getting tired. And there was just so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. And this is why sometimes it's hard to hope. Because we all have a breaking point. Even though we're tenacious, even though we're really capable, sometimes life just hits us too hard and we break. We give up. It's not worth building up. And even for those of you who are, are not quitters, you have felt being on the verge of that. When it's like, ah, oh, now it's not like, my kid's already a teenager. Those habits are ingrained. I can't, I can't undo any of that anymore. It's easy to give up. So what do we do? Well, Nehemiah, he realizes that the plan is not working. And this is, I think, why. He realizes that they have the right vision. They have all the supplies they need. They have all the workers. They have the chat. Teamwork, teamwork. 
But the way he's administered the work is he sent people to their own sections of the wall. And now they're separated workers. They're alone. They are tired. And now they are afraid of being attacked. Do you ever feel like that? Alone, tired, afraid of being attacked? Even me, who's at a very blessed church with awesome, awesome support staff and boss staff, sometimes in my wall of youth ministry, I'm not gonna lie, sometimes I do feel alone and tired and afraid of being attacked. And so Nehemiah realizes that they have almost everything right, except they need to make a new plan. And it's a really smart plan. The first step of the plan is nobody, walk, nobody works alone. Nobody. So let's go to verse 16. And this is what it says. From now on, only half of my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah. You need someone to have your back. That's kind of a cool work situation. Um, somebody's working on the wall, and there's somebody behind him with the shield. He's on the lookout for enemies. I imagine him also handing water to him, saying, hey, you got it. Let me know if you want to switch. Now that guy feels supported. And after lunch break, they switch. Now this guy's working. And another person says, hey, I got your back. Whatever you need. You need something? You tell me. I'll get it for you. All of us need somebody behind us, somebody supporting us. And I hope we'll be able to switch where we can support someone. When we can watch their backs, we can be there for them. Now, obviously, guys, the work is going slower, right? We've cut the work pace in half but we've doubled the community. Interesting how that works, hey? It seems like progress is going slower, but the community's roots are now getting deeper. That's step one. Step two is Nehemiah tells them we have a different mentality of building now. Okay, this is what it says in verse 17. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting the load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. Now this is obviously a very a radical different way of building. One hand holding a trowel, a tool, bricks. The other holding a sword or a shield or a spear. And I think there's something really important in there for us. Um, but before we do that, I just want to talk about um, the way we apply the Bible, especially the way we apply Nehemiah. Okay? Because if you Google on YouTube Nehemiah 4, Okay, there's a lot of good sermons on Nehemiah 4. And if I'm honest, probably some of them are going to be better than this one. Okay? But a lot of them are going to have subtitles that are going to talk about this thing called spiritual warfare. That this is how we apply how we fight the enemy. But I just want to tell you guys something. Nehemiah is not an epistle. Paul didn't write it to explain spiritual warfare. Okay? It is not a prophetic book. Okay? It is not a textbook on how to have spiritual war. You know what Nehemiah is? It's a history book. 
It's a case study on a people who follow God and how they built walls that led to community. Okay? Not how they fought the enemy. Now we are about to make applications, and that's very important because we should use the whole Bible to make spiritual applications. But I want us to remember this focus. Nehemiah is about building community, not about spiritual warfare. And this is really important because if we start like living like Christians who always have a sword by our side, always have a weapon in one hand, it will be easy for us to strike. We see sin and we say, shame, 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 shame. We see somebody making a mistake and we say, wow, that's horrible. It becomes, you are horrible when we start living in that way. And so I think actually, if we actually want to talk about fighting the enemy, uh, we got to jump to Ephesians 6, because this is an epistle. Um, this does talk about spiritual warfare. Um, and it's titled in your Bibles, The Armor of God. Um, and Paul says, you guys are aware, right? We're not fighting flesh and blood. We're not fighting humans. We are fighting against evil, an unseen world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. And so Paul says, let me tell you what you need, okay? And I'm going to give you the armor of God in my layman terms. To fight evil, you need to live honestly. You need to live right. You need to only speak good news. You need to have faith. You have to trust that you're saved. And you have to pray in the Spirit. That's how we fight evil. There's no sword, like, really mounted at our side to attack anybody that we say is, like, not saying what we think is right. To fight evil, Paul says, we just have to live a spirit-filled life. And so we're going to pull back on the story of Nehemiah, and we're going to take the applications to not how we fight the enemy today, but how we build community. And to build a community, we need one hand on a trowel and one hand on a sword. So the first one. We need a hand on a tool, okay? The trowel or maybe the brick. We must be the people that are building whatever section of wall God gives you. Okay, that starts with you. Your character, your decision-making, what you believe, your faith, you gotta build that up. It includes your family, the ways that you worship together, the ways that you celebrate life together. That's what it means to have the trowel in one hand. Do everything you can with the gifts and the talents God has given you to build yourself up. Hold the trowel in one hand. And then in this hand, we have to have a weapon, a shield, a sword, okay? We must be people who are ready to protect others, to fight for others who can't overcome life's challenges alone. As Isaiah says in the first chapter of his book, we got to help the oppressed. we got to defend the cause of orphans. we got to fight for the rights of widows. So, to live biblically, to start building community the way Nehemiah asked us to, it means, it means we have to be in this constant mode, balancing between building our own life, our own gifts, okay, building our own faith, and then fighting for the people beside us who really need it. It's this back and forth. And it's a hard balancing act because we can't be one or the other. If you end up being the person who just has the tools, okay, 
you build your faith, you pray a lot, you're focused on your family, all these things are healthy, but we start to get so closed off. We start to become such good people because we don't see the problems around us. We start saying, man, if there were requirements like to get into heaven, I checked, all the, I checked the whole box. I did it. We can't just hold the tool. We also can't be people who just hold the weapon. I've seen this, okay? We get so excited for every cause that comes out there. And so we tire ourselves up, we work beyond our capacity, and you know what happens? We see the world for how bad it really is. We get frustrated, and we say, I give up. We can't just hold the weapon. Because we need the recharging and the character building that the tool gives us so that we have what we need to help the people around us. And we can't really help people around us without that. And we don't have a good basis of what to build our faith on if we haven't seen who needs help. And so it's this weird balancing act. And I really like it. I think that Nehemiah has a great plan going. It's almost the perfect description of how we should live our lives. But there's actually one more part. And this is the best part. This is where it really challenges us to say, are you really willing to live the Christian walk? And it's in verse 19. Then I, this is Nehemiah talking, then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out. And we are widely separated from each other along the wall. But when you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding, then our God will fight for us. Do you like that? Rush to wherever the trumpet is sounding. It's like this attitude of just like, drop whatever you're doing and help where it's needed the most. Do I know why this is necessary? Because there are some people in the world who have nobody watching their back. There are people who in their personal lives, they're looking at their trowel and they're saying, there's no way I can fix this. There are people who are so mistreated, so oppressed, so poor, that they can't even protect themselves. And so the call for us is when the trumpet calls to say help in this person's life right here, we as Christians should respond by dropping everything to go and support them, to go and fight for them. And church, I think that there's trumpet calls all around us. Some are big, uh, like uh, what is going on in Ukraine. Um, I was talking to my youth about this. If what is happening in Ukraine now happened 40 years ago, it would be the only thing we would be talking about, praying about, listening about, and hoping for the best for. The only thing. But we live in a world where there's just so much going on. You can, you can read it, feel, and then swipe to like a cat. That's cute. But there's a trumpet there. They need our help somehow. Um, I don't know if some of you guys have heard of uh, the loss of one of the students at Lost Year University. Um, there's trumpets for support in that community. In Cal Mesa, unfortunately, we've had our share of loss, um, our share of sickness, um, our share of, of, of diagnoses and pain. Um, those are all trumpets for us to drop what we are doing and help. Because that's how we build community. When the trumpet calls, 
we are asked to rally around to serve and support. But you know, there's also some trumpets that are small, very small. We almost miss them, but they're just as important. Parents, um, did you know when your kids give you attitude? That's probably a trumpet. There's a need in their heart, maybe something they don't realize, um, and they need it filled. But you know how we hear it sometimes as like a really attitude trumpet that we just want to turn off and like send to a different room. When someone gets sick, when we haven't seen someone in a while, those are trumpets, little but important. When you ask someone how they're doing and they say tired, you know, usually what I say, and this is a sermon for me too, I'll say, oh yeah, you know, me too. I just can't wait for spring break. You know what that is? That's a trumpet. They're tired and even just, they just wanted to tell someone. And maybe they want you to reach out and help them even more. And so church, I want to ask you to listen for those desperate calls, whether they're loud or quiet and answer those trumpet calls. It's actually really interesting because in SDA culture, when you think of trumpets, okay, there's a very specific thing we, we think of, okay? When you say, and the trumpet calls, okay? You, then you say, and then the dead in Christ rise first, right? Second coming. This is what we think when we see trumpets. Isn't it interesting that when that final trumpet calls, when Jesus comes, this is the conversation we have at the gate with Jesus. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. He asks us at the end of time, did you listen to Nehemiah? When the trumpet calls for someone, do you get up and rally and support them? Now, I understand this is increasingly more difficult in this world where everybody seems to be uh, calling, like, crying, the boy crying wolf. You guys know that story? Right? Yeah. Somebody, there's a kid, and he's, like, bored, I guess. And so he runs into town. He's a shepherd. He runs into town. And he says, wolf, wolf, wolf. So they all come out, like, with their hockey sticks. How do you get rid of wolves in, in California? <laughs> you don't have wolves. Okay, at the academy I grew up in, when wolves came into the backyard of the school, the teachers would line up in hockey sticks and, like, scare them away, all right? Um, and uh, they, they go out, and there's no, there's no wolves, right? And so the boy is, like, he's bored again. Maybe he's lonely. Hey, maybe these are trumpets for the boy. Maybe he doesn't really have friends. The other shepherds aren't treating him well. So he runs back into town. Wolf, 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 wolf. They come out with their hockey sticks. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get me a wolf. There's no wolves. Eventually, as humans, we just stop listening to that, right? And unfortunately, in today's world where every time you turn on the TV, every time you open on the news, every time you honestly talk to someone, there might be pain, it's easy to just turn it off and just say, I got a trowel, I'm just going to build my own life. That's all I got to do. And so we got to be Christians that come every time the boy cries wolf, every single time. Uh, when I was uh, pastoring in Canada, uh, there was a youth there who, she was a mess. Like, she was wild. And she would give her parents a lot of scares. She would threaten to run away and then disappear. And so she would call for all the church elders and deacons and pastors. And we'd like, 
I know, drive around the city, like, how do you find a missing kid? It's kind of hard, right? Drive around the city, call the police. Um, then she would, like, threaten to hurt herself and run away, and we'd do the same thing. And, like, then uh, we're like, man, we really got to help this. We got to help this girl. So they tried, like, the counseling. They tried everything. Um, nothing really helped. And so she just, like, kept having these little trumpets that nobody could really read. We were just so tired. Like, ah, oh, here we go again. Oh, okay, I'm heading right over. Ah, oh, it's 11 p.m., you know? Um, and even me, as her pastor, kind of failed to listen to what she needed. Um, and it was in one of the spaces where she was doing good. Like, she wasn't doing this at the moment, and she was good. I took her out. Um, her mom convinced me to take her out for coffee. And so we were at the coffee shop. And uh, she's just started making wild statements to me, like, um, talking about, like, like, she was, like, 15 or something, so I know that she was just exaggerating, um, talking about drugs and, and sex and all these things. Um, and I just sat there, like, like, cool. Like, I didn't, I didn't really know what to say, so I was like, cool, cool, cool. Um, and at the end of the conversation, something changed. And she's like, wait, you're really cool with all those things that I do? And she actually didn't do those things, but she was, like, testing me, right? And I'm like, I don't really care. Like, I mean, I'm glad you're part of our youth group, and, like, I'll help you, like, when I can help you, I guess, right? And in that moment, the secret trumpet in her heart that was always ringing that nobody could hear was answered. She just wanted to be a place where she wasn't the basket case, where not everybody in the room was trying to fix her, where she could say wild things and someone could just be like, oh, that's cool, like, whatever. You're here, that's cool. And it took me a long time to realize that was her trumpet call. It would have been easy to give up. It's easy to see problems happen over and over and over again, be like, oh, we can't fix that. And so, Nehemiah has this great, ba this great building plan, this great, great community building plan. And the story continues. And we will continue in the series later on with Pastor Darren. Um, but now there is even greater hope that we're actually going to get the job done. That the walls are going to be finished. That our community is going to be stronger. And here's why. They watch each other's backs. In one hand, they hold a trowel to build their wall. And in the other hand, they hold a sword to protect their friends. And they are ready to drop everything and rush to help those for whom the trumpet calls. And so as you go this week, Calamesa, as we continue to build our families, to build our church, to build our faith, I'm going to ask that we watch each other's backs, that in one hand, we faithfully work on the gifts and, that God has given us, and in the other hand, we support and protect our friends. And may we be ready to drop everything and rush to help those for whom the trumpet calls. Jesus, uh, you are the cornerstone. Um, and we are so thankful and are waiting for when you will come back and uh, build a new earth that doesn't have pain or struggle or heartache anymore. But until then, God, uh, we pray that you may wash us uh, may we give up our evil ways. Teach us to do good. Teach us to seek justice, to help the oppressed. May we defend the orphans. Uh, may we fight for widows. Thank you for the community that you are building around us. 
your name we pray, amen.